Good morning to you. What a sweet privilege it is for me to be here uh, today. I'm here a lot. Carolyn and I come uh, whenever we're not traveling overseas. Um, we're here a lot. We go sometimes to the earlier service and sometimes to this one. And now we're moving around. We used to always used to sit right there. But now we move around and meet new people. And sometimes people say, who are you? And I say... Hey, welcome. So one of the great joys of our life is to see God's blessing in the life of Cedar Mill Bible Church. We're just grateful to God, grateful to God for our our pastor and the team and the elders and his faithfulness. God has been good to us here. You know that, don't you? If you get around a little bit, you know, again, how much God has been good to us. So, But there is more to do. I'm so grateful for the vision that Dave has and the rest of our leaders have for the future of the church. Just grateful to God for what he's doing in these days. And, and what a privilege for me to open the word of God with you. One of the sweet experiences that I have every Sunday when I come is I, I wait for these words. Open your Bible too. So I want to say to you, open your Bible now if you would to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Dave asked me to speak, and I said, so you're going to be in between um, series. What, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, it would be good if you did a Bible message. <laughs> I said, okay. Uh, no, no, that was... So I, I have been wrestling with some verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just three verses this morning, uh, but... Challenging verses. Challenging verses not because they're hard to understand, but challenging verses because they're so easy to understand. The challenge in it is, how do you do this? How in the world do you do this? It is verse 16, 17, and 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul is wrapping up his letter to the church of Thessalonica, and he's giving them last-minute exhortations and really commands. And he says... Several things in these three verses that I have found so very challenging and yet so very core to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you uh, some of what I believe these verses are saying to us and then I offer them to you to reflect more about it. And if you are like me, it's going to take some more reflection and thinking. This is one of those places where you read over pretty quickly in the Word of God and And if you're like me, you kind of read it over and you think, whoa, that was interesting. And then you go on. Um, Because if you stop and focus in, then then you're trapped. Now now you've got to figure out, what am I going to do with this? So Paul writes this. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, when you look at those verses, what are the challenging words? Always. Continually. All circumstances. Paul would have been reasonable if he would have said, you know, sometimes it would be really good if you are thankful. Or, you know, you ought to pray a lot. Or try to be thankful as much as you can in the circumstances that you're under. But he didn't say that. He says, rejoice always. Pray continually. 
Give thanks in all circumstances. And then he says, this is God's will for you. So what do you do with that? Many people look at this and they and they sort of dismiss this as, well, this is kind of odd. It's one of those sort of religious places in the word of God that is really not very rational. rational so and, it's, and it really, at, at the bottom, it's impossible to do. So let's move on and try to find something we can do. Um, and some Christians, you know, we've been accused of being unrealistic and in denial about a lot of things. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but I've heard people accuse us as being like we, we deny depression and discouragement and sadness and pain. And we have a lot of easy answers for very difficult kind of things. That's sort of some of our reputation a bit. However, we who trust in God should be the most honest people on the planet, don't you think? We who trust in God should have the, have the clearest grasp of what is reality and not try to dismiss it all or to have easy answers for difficult questions. We are the people who, should, the very last people who should be ignoring pain and discouragement and depression and problems and sin and failure and weakness and the list goes on and on and on. Because the truth is, is that every one of us have had times of great pain. Every one of us have had times when the circumstances just overwhelm us and we're filled with sadness. Some of us have experienced agonizing tragedy. After the service last hour, we, I had several people who told me their story of the past year. And they're praying that 2017 will be better. Because it's been so hard. The Bible doesn't ignore the hard questions about unhappiness. It doesn't just breeze over. It doesn't ignore the whole thing of confusion and pain. So what we have to do is, the first thing we have to do is to say, is this even possible? Is it even possible to do this? To rejoice always and to pray continually and to give thanks in all circumstances. Is that possible or not? Has God given to us an impossible standard to which we could never, ever possibly a- obtain. Seriously, who can do this? I mean, really. Maybe there's a few super saints among us who've got a rap on these three things. Not me. We face life as it is. We must. Unless you want to be totally unrealistic, you've got to face life as it, as it really is. And life sometimes is very ordinary, sometimes it's good, and a lot of times it's really, really bad. And there's no way around it. And what I've discovered, is even, even when things are going pretty well in my life, I still struggle uh, with rejoicing always and praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances, even when things are going really, really well. So first question is, is this even possible this is what the word of god says to us what do we do with the word of god when it says this is god's will for you in christ jesus what do we do god's not calling us to pretend he's not calling us to fake it he's not calling us to do sort of mental gymnastics to deny how bad and difficult life can be he's not asking us to deny the struggle or the pain or ignore things like depression and discouragement so what we have to do when we come to a place in the word of god like this is is you have to slow down and you have to examine it and you have to think a little bit about what does it say and what does it not say and what could it possibly mean and then we have to get to the place of what are we going to do about it So let's pick it apart a little bit. Verse 16 says simply this, rejoice always. 
The word always means always. Rejoice always. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Some of you are saying, well, no, no, no. John 11, 30, 30 says, Jesus wept. And that's the shortest verse. That's the shortest verse in English. This is the shortest verse in the Greek. So you can be a Greek scholar now and say, I know the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. And it is this one. Rejoice always. Notice that Paul is not saying be happy about everything all the time. He's not saying like it all. He's not saying like everything that happens. He's saying rejoice. And this is a word that we don't use very much until we get around to Christmas time and then we sing all the rejoicing songs. Um, or sometimes it mixes into our music. But when we think very much about it, you have to think what does rejoice actually mean? At the core of it, of course, is the biblical word joy. Joy. Biblical joy is deeply rooted in something that's beyond our circumstances. And that is the clue for this. The biblical joy is not really about what is happening in my life. It is rooted in something that's deeper than that. The biblical joy has a source. The biblical joy is really a foundation upon which we stand. It, it, it is something, it's not a feeling on top of a feeling. It's not an emotion on top of an emotion. There's nothing wrong with feelings and emotions. These are God's gifts to us. But joy is not a feeling on top of a feeling. It's an emotion on top of a fact. Are you with me? So there is a foundation. There is a fact. There is something upon which we stand. And it is not about what is happening to us. And that's what Paul is getting at here and in many other places in the Word of God. There's a verse that, some things that Jesus said that really helped me. It's John 15, 11, where Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now think about this a minute. Jesus is saying, I have a joy. Does he? And where is the joy of Jesus? It is in him. It is the very joy of God himself. And Jesus is saying, I want my joy to be in you so that your joy can be complete. So what is he saying? He's saying, look, there is a thing called the joy of God that he gives to the people of God. And this is not about our circumstances or how happy we are about what's happening. This is, this is a foundational kind of reality where Jesus said, look, part of the new creation, the new life about being born again is my joy is going to be in you. And every now and then you run into some Christian who just has this sense of inner joy. And you wonder, where did they get that? They got it from Jesus. And you did too. When you came to him, he gave you his joy. And the need is to try to figure out how to let some of it out. And to understand where the foundation really is. That's why Paul could write from prison. You know, Philippians 4. You know, he could write, so rejoice in the Lord Always. And once again, always means always. And then he repeats it, right? Remember this? You know this. These are all familiar words, verses to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And, and again, I will say rejoice. It's a command, you see. It's a command to do something that God has given to you. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, if the Lord Jesus has given you his joy and it is in you, then you are to rejoice in him, not in the circumstances, but in him. That's why he could say rejoice always. 
So what I want to suggest to you is that joy, biblical joy, is a reality. It's based upon a foundation. It's a reality. And the reality is this. God. The reality of the foundation of your joy is that you have a heavenly father. Do you? Do you know it to be so? That you have a heavenly father? In the midst of the struggle and the difficulties of life, what is the foundation upon we upon which we stand? When our lives are unhappy, when we are going through great difficulties, and then we see something that says rejoice always, what do we do? We remember, first of all, that we have a heavenly father. You have a heavenly father who knows you, sees you, cares about you, is working in your life all the time. Are you with me? You believe this? This makes you quite different if you believe this, by the way. This God is powerfully at work in you all the time. True or not? In all circumstances. True or not? Do you remember the verses that Dave read when he stood up here? From Romans? Nothing will separate us from the love of God. And we all said, Amen. Right? We believe that. That's why the Bible so many times connects joy with trouble. Because the Word of God is trying to persuade us that it's not so difficult to feel joyful when things are going really well and you have lots of things to quote be happy about. The difficulty of finding biblical joy is when things are going really bad. And the reality is, is if it hadn't been going really bad for you, you just haven't lived long enough. It's coming. And many of you, as you look back, you'll think, yeah, there's been so many times when I wondered where the joy of God was. So the word of God connects joy and trouble again and again. Let me give you a few illustrations. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it pure joy when you have lots of trials. How you doing? Right? I think, whoa, really? The key word, one of the key words is the word because. So many times when God says rejoice, be joyful, it's followed immediately with the word because. Because God wants us to know that there's a reason There is a foundation for the ability to rejoice. This is not just looking for something to rejoice in. God has given to us a reason. Now, in this one, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, what do you need to be a strong follower of Jesus Christ? Faith. Right? You need to have faith. Strong faith. Yes or no? So God is working to build a strong faith in us. Why? Because we need it, right? And it glorifies him, and this is the will of God for us, and this is what a follower of Christ is supposed to be. Somebody who walks not by sight, but by faith. So what God's doing is he's building faith in us. And then the other thing that this says, it talks about perseverance. Does God want you to persevere? Right? So faith and perseverance. Now, are these, like, important or optional for us. These are crucial things for us, right? So how do you get it? How do you get stronger faith and the and strong ability to persevere? When everything's going sweetly, yeah, no. When everything's going really bad, that 
Think back now when the, the times in which God really taught you and strengthened your faith were the difficult times, weren't they? The, way, the times in which you learned to persevere were the times when things were going badly and you had to choose. You had to decide what you really believed and you had to pray and you had to do some of the things that you know that God has called you to do but are sometimes really difficult. These words, because you know, James is really saying, look, because you know there's a great God at work in your life and he's building faith and perseverance in you, so rejoice in the trials because you know that God's doing something. And that's the only reason to rejoice in trials, at least in this context. Rejoice because he is at work doing in you what you need. You have a powerful reason, a foundation for rejoicing. It is because God is at work. Jesus even said, rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted. Remember this one? First part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. The, the blesseds, the beatitudes. The last one is reads like this. This is Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Key words there, because of me. Not because you're weird. Because of me, right? So rejoice and be glad because, there's that word again, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, look, you're blessed if because you follow me you are insulted, persecuted, and falsely accused of things. So you are to rejoice. We rejoice not because we get accused, not because we get hurt, We don't like to be hurt. We don't like to be persecuted. We don't like to be insulted. We don't like to be lied about and accused. Our rejoicing is not because those things happen to us. Our rejoicing is because God is at work in the midst of those things. And because, in this context, great is your reward in heaven. Because your God sees every single time that you are accused of something or rejected because you follow Jesus Christ, your Father sees and he's laying up treasure for you. Great is your reward in heaven. And oh, by the way, it also proves to you, when you are persecuted because of Jesus, because you're a follower of Jesus, it proves to you who you are. It proves to you that you stand in the long line of the prophets, the old, the men and, the, and women of the Old Testament who, who stood for God and they were persecuted and killed because they... Stood for God. Now, if you're persecuted because of me, Jesus says, you stand with them. It proves to you who you are. Do you see this? And this is a reason to rejoice. Not because we like the painful experiences, but because God sees and God is at work and God will reward and God affirms to you who you are and he does it through these difficult things. You belong. And persecution is what proves it to you. Now, one of the things that I do in these days of my life is I travel around the world. I've been in 11 countries in Africa in the past few years, India and Nepal, twice each. And I keep running into God's people who understand this so much better than I do. I want to tell you, they. when I look at their lives, I think... Man, their lives were really terrible. They don't have anything. I mean, so many of them, when they became Christians, their families kicked them out, disowned them. They can't get jobs. And they're some of the most joyful people I have ever met. So one of the great lessons of my life in the past few years, I mean, some of the things I've learned in Africa, 
and, and they they simply say, well, we get we get persecuted. Yeah, if you become a follower of Christ, you lose everything. So there are very few nominal Christians there. So because I mean, you're going to right. So but they're full of joy. It's fascinating to me. If I had to live their life, I'd be so miserable, you know, but they're so full of joy. And I and I keep asking them and they say simple things like. We're saved. I'm not a Hindu anymore. I'm saved. I have Jesus. I'm not a Muslim anymore. I have confidence. You know, I'm going to glory. You know, I belong to the people of God. I had I one brother who said, I have the spirit of God. I asked him, how can you possibly be so joyful? He said, I have the spirit of God. That was his answer. I said, okay. Here's the reality. The reality is that God's people can rejoice always because there's always in every situation an almighty father who is carrying out his plan for our good. We can rejoice always because there is an almighty father at work in every situation of life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? In every situation, there's an almighty father at work. Do you believe this? Hmm. I'm not trying to trap you. I'm just trying to get you to say, I believe it. That's what Romans 8.28 says to us, right? This very difficult verse. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, God is at work. You believe that? So you do believe that in all things God is at work. That God is at work for the good of those who love him. What about when things are really bad? When circumstances are really bad and you're in pain and you're struggling and you're confused and you're not certain and you don't like it. Is God still at work for good? When things are bad, is God working for good? This is getting down to it, isn't it? I mean, this is where we live. So many times we think when bad things happen to us, that's bad. And we stop there. And the reality is when bad things happen to us, it feels really bad. But the other side of the coin is the deeper reality is that we have a father and he is at work. And he is doing his purpose. And we don't get it sometimes and we're confused. But we know that in all things... God is at work. So if there, if that's true, if that verse is true, there's great reason to rejoice. When? All the time. All the time. Because what I have is greater than the struggles that I face. Let me say that again. What I have is greater than the struggles I face. Because God's immense grace is more powerful than the problems that I face. More problem, more, more powerful than the problems. The difficulties, the struggles, the failures, the sins, the sorrows, the agony sometimes. There's reason to rejoice because God is bigger than everything. What about that one? God is bigger than everything. You buy that? Does your view of God... Say that. The most important thoughts you think are thoughts you think about God. 
the most important truth that you know is the truth that you know about God. Is God bigger than everything? And that is what provides the foundation for rejoicing. Not about feeling, but about choice and faith and obedience. Well, let's go on. Verse 17. Now it's pray continually. Pray all the time. Some of your Bibles say pray without ceasing. Constantly pray. Continually pray. So what's that? That's another one of those things that if you don't stop and think about the word pray and prayer a little bit, then you're going to end up with some wrong conclusions. I, I don't know about you, but I went, went for so many years of my life, and I've been guilty of teaching something like this, and I repent. I repent, truly. I'm not completely over it, but I'm repenting of it. This idea that you, that prayer is really all about prayer meetings, right? So, so if that's what this is about, then what God wants you to do is spend your whole life in prayer meetings, right? Or that he, what he wants you to do is he wants you to find a quiet place, a solitary place, and he wants you to spend your whole life with your eyes closed. Praying. You say, well, no, 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 of course not. So prayer must mean something else besides prayer meetings and our quiet devotional times with God. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm for prayer meetings and quiet devotional times with God, and some of the best times of prayer are in those kind of times. But prayer is not limited to certain places and times, is it? What we've got to do is we've got to understand prayer as really the word, if you will, or the reality that God gave to us for relationship with him. It is this word that captures the idea that you can talk to God and God can talk to you. That it's really about relationship because what God wants with us is relationship. We were created for this. We were redeemed for this. And prayer is a thing that puts me right where I belong. Wherever I am, it puts me at his feet. It puts me at his feet as a worshiper, as one who is a servant, one who is submissive, one who needs him again today. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I can pray. Is there any time that you can't pray? Well, the problem is, is that we forget this, or, or our minds are just filled with so many other things, and we just simply forget to pray, you know, and and then somebody comes along and says, well, you know, you can't think two things at once. You can't pray to God and be wrestling with the realities of life and being at work and stuff like that. You, know, you can't you can't think two simultaneous thoughts at the same time. I talked to my wife about this. You've heard me say this before. And she said, well, you can't. <laughs> but women can. And that's probably true. What does God want? I mean, Really, what does he want of us? Doesn't he want relationship with us? Intimacy with us? Doesn't he want to talk to us and hear us talk to him? Doesn't he want what, what really is most satisfying to your soul, and that's relationship with people that you love? The older you get, the more you realize that it's not stuff, it's about people. That the most valuable things that you have in life are relationships with people and relationship with God. And this is what God wants of us. And one day it's going to be crystal clear to us that this was the thing that he created us for, relationship. We're going to stand in his presence. We're going to look him in the, in the face and we're going to see him face to face. And then we will know this is why we were created, to be with him, to talk to him, to see him, to know him, to worship him, to glorify him, to more and more be like him and to be in his presence. That is where fullness of joy will be. Oh, and by the way, eternal pleasures at his right hand. Psalm 1611. 
Interesting idea, that. Pleasure like we've never known. Why pray continually? Because everything that matters to me matters to him. Everything. There aren't some certain things that he really cares about. He says, don't talk to me about that because I don't care about that. If it matters to you, it matters to him. So pray. Pray about everything. Pray continually. Paul said it like this in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You're familiar with that verse too, right? Right? So notice the words anything and every situation. What does that mean? All the time. All the time. Whatever happens to you, pray. So here's the reality. God's people can Pray continually because there is always, in every situation, a loving and powerful Father who is present, listening, and caring. True or not? For you? True for you? Do you have a loving, caring, heavenly Father who is always watching and present and listening and caring? Why continually pray? Continually pray because we have a father. We have a father like no father on this planet. We have a father who has called us into relationship with him. We have a father who is always present in our life, always listening, always caring, always watching. He's hearing what you're thinking right now at this moment. And so many times our thoughts are the most real things about us. We have a father who says to us, cast all your anxiety on me because I care about you. First Peter 5, 7. Pray continually. All the time. Then he says, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. This doesn't get any easier. Give thanks in all circumstances. Really? Not for all circumstances. In all circumstances. God never asked us to do something that is so totally illogical and irrational and stupid that people say, you Christians are a little off your rocker here. God never says, your mother just died, so rejoice because that happened to you. Give thanks because mama died. Now, sometimes when my mama died, I cried and I gave thanks. But sometimes it's impossible to give thanks for that. And Paul is not saying give thanks for everything that happens. He's saying give thanks in the midst of everything that's happening. Because every good circumstance that happens to you, every good thing is a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, the Bible says. And every bad circumstance, even in the midst of the bad circumstances, in those circumstances, God is present. God is so very present. And sometimes he seems more present in the really bad circumstances than he does in the good ones. And sometimes he th- seems so distant that we wonder, where are you, God? And we don't feel him. We pray. He doesn't answer. We're like knocking on the windows of heaven and there's no answer. You've been there? So what's true when that happens to you? Does he no longer care? Does he no longer care about you? Is he saying to you, you've messed up somehow, so I'm not going to respond to you? Is God still almighty? Is he still good? Is he still loving? We say this kind of stuff. God is good all the time. And then we all say, all the time, God is good. Really? Really? You believe this? 
Why do we give thanks in all circumstances? Because in the midst of all circumstances, we have a Father. Why give thanks in all circumstances? Because in the midst of every circumstance, whether it's good or bad, there is reason for gratitude to God. There is reason for gratitude to God. In the midst of every circumstance, whether it's good, bad, terrible, or awesome, God is present. He is present in his grace and in his power. And that is the foundation we stand on that enables us to give thanks and pray and to be thankful for what he's done for us. So the reality is this. God's people can give thanks in all circumstances because in every situation there are always abundant reasons to be grateful to God, even when sorrows and pain seem greater than our blessings. And probably most of us have been in this place where sorrows and pain seem so much greater than our blessings. Isn't it fascinating how you can have so many blessings in your life and then some stuff comes along and just whacks you? Usually it's not just one thing. Usually it's a series of things. And this is where we really stumble. Not just struggle with one or two, but when we have this and this and this and this, four or five things line up and just hammer us. And here we are, children of God, and we're saying, God, where are you? And, and, and it seems that the pain and the struggle and the problems seem so much bigger than our blessings. It's like our blessings have evaporated. And yet God says, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul said it like this in Romans 8, 18. It's like he took a scale and he said, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That this is greater and heavier and more valuable. And he went through a lot And he still wrote this. And notice that he said, the glory that will be revealed in us, not just to us, but in us. I wonder what that means. You looking forward to a time when there will be glory in you? There's some sweet stuff coming for the people of God, my friends. So he instructed us then to live by faith and not to live by sight. Because when we live by sight, we live by what is by what's happening around us and we begin to be controlled by it and we begin to be so dominated that we forget these simple things like prayer and giving thanks. But when we live by faith, we live by what our faith knows. We live by faith in a fact that there is a God and that nothing can separate us from that God. We live on the basis of what we believe We see, but with different eyes. Now we see with eyes of faith. And so sometimes you run into one of the children of God who their life has just come to pieces and they're having so many difficulties and struggles and maybe their body's going down and and yet they have joy and you wonder, where did it come from? How can they be joyful? You know anybody like that? I know some people like that right here in this church family. Yeah, I want to tell you, and sometimes I'm just... I'm like shamed, stunned, and I'm hungry for it. Because they see right through it. It's like God is here, and they're looking, and their circumstances are right here. And what they do is they move God in front of their circumstances. And they see God in front of their circumstances. But as long as they're looking at their circumstances, and God is sort of blurred out. And so, so many times what happens to you, these are some of the most refreshing people to be around, by the way. 
the people who you know are going through real difficulties and then they start saying encouraging words to you, right? It's just, it's a God thing. So in this time on earth, this is the only chance we have to live by faith, right? The only one we got, right? We're not going to do that then. You get over there, you don't have to live by faith anymore. Now you're going to see and you'll be present. So this is our chance. So, but in this world, there's a lot of good stuff that happens, but there's, it's full of problems and difficulties and struggles and sorrows and, you know, and tragedies and terrible things happen and sometimes so many things line up and there's hurts and pain and loss and it goes on and on and on. And so, what kind of people should we be? Now, here's where, to me, this is the issue. What kind of people should we be? What kind of people are we? Are we people who are so overwhelmed with the uncertainty of what's going on and so overwhelmed with the, the, the world and the structures and the powers and the kingdoms of this world and the politics and our body and, and difficulty? Are we so enveloped in all that stuff that we don't have a foundation? Or are you someone who says, yeah, there's the kingdoms of this world, but I have a father. I have a, there's a kingdom of heaven and he's called me to it. And I'm, and it is the most important thing. You see, the truths and attitudes that ought to affect us, the things that ought to control us are these things. Now think about this. Do you know anybody who, who it seems like is a characteristic of their life that they rejoice and they pray and they're thankful? Know anybody like that? They don't do it perfectly, but you, but they, they have some real strength in this area. And, and when you get with them, usually what comes out of them is almost always rejoicing and prayer and thanksgiving. And these are some of the most powerful people on, in the world. And shouldn't we be like that? See, Paul is not saying to you, you know, one option for you would be to rejoice some. Or it would be really nice if you could occasionally pray, or maybe you might even want to give thanks occasionally. He doesn't say if you're really, really mature, if you really know a lot of Bible stuff. So you don't need to know a lot of Bible stuff to do these three things. You just need to know these three things. And you need to know your foundation and why you can do these things because God, because the Son of God has put His joy in you. So He's not saying if you're really, really mature, someday you'll reach the place where you'll be able to really consistently rejoice and pray and give thanks. He's not saying this is for some of the super saints among us. These are written as commands. That's why verse 18 says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what kind of life does God want us to live? What kind of life does he want you to live? You know, you don't have all that long to get this right. And neither do I. I look at my life and I think I'm rounding third and heading home. I want to get this down before I reach home. I would really hate for my father to say, you know, we got to do radical surgery on you, son. I mean, you we got a long ways to go with you. I'd really like to have more of this in my own life. 
Here's the truth. God himself is the foundation that enables us to stand. Who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. God himself. Do you have a God? Do you or not? And how big is he? This is the core question. Do you have a God like that? God's plan for his people is so much more than just enduring until we finally get to heaven or just getting by and doing the best we can. What God's will for us is a to be a joyful, prayer-filled, thankful person. A joyful, prayer-filled, thankful person. He calls us to this. And he says to us, you can do this because, listen, the greatness of God is bigger than the reality of the worst pain and tragedy. The greatness of God is bigger than the reality of the worst pain and tragedy. Do you believe that? See, what we have to do first is say, what do we believe? What do we know is true? Not just we've chosen to believe something that's false, but is it true? And do I believe it? So I ask you. Do you think this is true, that the greatness of God is bigger than the reality of the worst pain and tragedy? You think it's true? Now the question is a second, do I believe it? Many times for me, I just forget this, right? Or I I doubt it, or sometimes I don't feel like it, or, or, or sometimes I'm not sure I really believe it. But when you look back in your life, you will discover that that this is true, that so many times in your life, these overwhelming difficulties and struggles happened to you and you thought God was lost in it. And then as you've worked your way through it, now you look back and you say, God is bigger than that. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know. I wasn't sure I really believed it. But now I know he was. And it helps me for the future. Do you think that God looks at us sometimes and he says, Oh, no. Look what happened to them. I don't know what I'm going to do. They're in big trouble now. Sorry. You think? Hmm. If only we could sort of see over his shoulder, you know. If you could just like creep into heaven's throne room and creep around all the angels... And get around next to the wall and get around behind the throne of God and then stand up and look over the shoulder of God at the world. And if we could see from that perspective, what would we see? If you could see your life through his eyes, what would you see? Job. One of the worst books in the Bible. You read it lately? It's awful. Just awful. Stunning tragedy. Absolutely stunning tragedy. The death of his children, all of his children. The loss of everything so much. And then boils over his whole body, sitting on a pile of ashes, scraping yourself with a piece of pottery. Come on. And then this encouraging word from his beloved wife. Remember that? Curse God and die. (laughs) Swell. Right? What did he do? Do you remember what he did? He got up and he worshipped. And he said, 
The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How in the world could you ever, ever do that? Not because he ignored the reality of the pain and the suffering. Not because he ignored the confusion and the depression that it brought. And it certainly did. It's not because he pretended that he understood why. Because the whole book is about the question why. And if you've read it recently, you know that he never answers the question. God never says, let me tell you why, Job. He just never does it. Right? It's just by the time you you finish the book, you've reached one great conclusion. The greatness of God. The absolute, sovereign, almighty greatness of God who gives and takes away, who has a right to give and to take away, who is always there. And Job knew that everything he had was a gift from God and he submitted to the right of God to even take it away as much as it hurt him And as he wept, and as he suffered, and as he despaired, he had this underlying, confident foundation in an almighty God. So here's the summary. God calls us to a life of faith that rejoices in God, prays to God, and gives thanks to God continually. This is the life he calls us to. I offer this to you, to say to you, this is the will of God for you. This is what God wants of you. So if you're like me, you've got to do a little self-examination and you've got to say, well, okay, what do I believe really? Is God as big as this guy was talking about? Do I believe that? And in my situation now, what do I choose to do? Okay, end of sermon. So let's take communion. Um, This is the time when you fold up your Bible and you get ready to go and, you know, and our minds begin shifting to lunch. Um, uh, let me suggest something to you and I have permission from the pastor so if this goes wrong talk to him okay so what we often do at communion and and I'm for this we often have communion and it's a very serious even somber kind of time um, now there is a time for serious reflection on the blood of Christ and the body of Christ and the suffering and the cross. And there is a time to do that. I want to tell you, there, there is a, we need to do that actually more than we do. But I also want to say to you that it is, it is not only a somber, serious reflection. It's also, we, we say, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And anytime we use the word celebrate, I always go, really? Celebrate. Hmm. And then I think, well, when did they do that supper? What was that meal? Remember that? It was the Passover meal, right? And the Passover, what was the Passover about? It was about celebration of what God had done to set the people free from Egypt, to set them free out of Egypt, to overcome the enemy, of, and set them free, take them across the Red Sea. It was all about celebration. It was a great feast. I mean, they, you know, they ate roasted lamb, and it was, I mean, it was good. And it was a celebration. And then Jesus, towards the end of the meal, he took two things. He took the piece of bread, And bread represents life and relationship and unity together. That you ate with people who are your friends, who you belong to. And then he took the cup, which was the cup of celebration, joy. He took the symbol of life and the symbol of joy, and he gave them new meaning. This is my body and this is my blood. So what I want to ask you to do is is think about this this moment. We just have a couple minutes together. Hang on. And, And I want you to... 
I want you to do what you normally do. Come up and take the bread and the cup and take it back to your seat and we'll take it together in just a minute or two. But instead of coming forward like... How about we come forward and we just recognize that we're all in this together, right? We are the family of God, that we belong to each other. We're going to live together forever and ever. We, we ought to like each other a little bit more. And so maybe like greet one another, like maybe shake hands, let a little bit of the joy out of your face, like smile at one another, right? And, and think of this as a celebration because if he didn't do this, we're finished. But he did, and so we're glad. Does this make sense to you? So it's like okay to come forward and take the bread and the cup, take it back to your seat, but to do it being thankful and praying and just being grateful to what God has done for us. Okay? Okay, so come and take the bread and the cup. Do it joyfully as to the Lord.